Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have gardening author Diana Morano to talk about her experience with sustainable gardening. Diana is a horticulturist, garden columnist, and author of three books, Water Smart Gardening, Rocky Mountain Fruit and Vegetable Gardening, and Southwest Gardener's Guide, published by Cool Springs Press. She lives and gardens in southern Utah with her husband, Steve. Combining her professional background in education with the continuous learning experiences her gardens provide, she strives to encourage, to teach, and inspire others to garden sustainably. Welcome to the show today, Diana. Thanks for having me, Greg. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? 
Well, I'm kind of a fossil in the horticulture industry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have uh, been a professional in this great industry for over 35 years. Wow. Began in the late 70s, uh, actually with a vegetable garden. Mm. Um, I had two small children, and we had a, a little rental on an acre and a half, and I thought, well, it looks like there had been a garden here, and so mm-hmm. maybe I'll try to feed my family. Wow. Um, didn't know anything about it, really hated the task when I was a kid, mm-hmm. so I kind of dove in, and the lady that had gardened it before me taught me so many lessons, and, you know, things like she would uh, bury broken glass in, in, to deter gophers. She oh, had wow. an incinerator incinerator in the middle of the garden, and she burned her other trash and then would, I guess, work the ashes into the soil. Oh, yeah. And she hauled sand up from the nearby creek because we had kind of a clay soil. Mm-hmm. And she worked the beds. They were nutrient-rich. And so I stuck seeds in the ground, not knowing what I was doing, and everything grew and flourished. And... I really owe my career to her because <laughs> had I not been so successful, I might have been discouraged, but my garden was oh, a success, right. and I found that I really enjoyed it, and so I thought, well, maybe I can make some money at this. This was back in the you know late 70s, and so I searched around, and I found a night school offered in uh, landscape technology, mm-hmm. and so I went to those classes for about mm, eight months and got my little certificate, and uh-huh. then I went out and tried to get a job in the industry, which took a lot of doing and talking because there just weren't too many women in the industry at that time. But oh, I did get my first job in landscape maintenance. And then a couple of years later, uh, I, I applied for a position at a community college, and I actually got the job. It turned out to be my career position, and wow. it was, uh, oh yeah, it was a landfall. It was managing and developing a 20-acre field site in a newly formed horticulture department. Wow. I know, it was the best job, and I worked there for over 20 years. I attended all of the horticulture classes, received my degree, eventually got my teaching credential, and began teaching in addition to my job. For the San Diego County Water Authority, they were looking to offer a a course called Xeriscape for teachers, and they were uh, looking for somebody to develop the curriculum and then teach the one-day workshops to K through 12 educators. Hmm. It was designed to give them the tools they needed to take water conservation back to the classroom. Uh-huh. So I did that for 10 years, and then I also taught college courses in specializing in water conservation and the landscape, plant propagation, greenhouse management, trees and shrubs, uh, plant ID. And then after about 23 years there, I started looking around for something to do when I retired. Uh I'm using those little quote marks. (laughs) Because I, at that point, I needed to use my brain more than my body. And so I uh, completed a certification program at UCSD in copy editing. And which which I thought that I might be able to do some specialized horticulture editing. Mm-hmm. And so I began by doing basic copy editing and then started doing hort editing for a lot of the authors in the Southwest. And then did some project editing for the Irrigation Association and Cool Springs Press. 
eventually, um, when we moved to our little piece of paradise here in Utah, I started writing for the local magazine and then did some industry publications. And about the same time when we moved here, we moved here with the intent of growing our own food. And so after I had been writing for a number of years, I had the hands-on experience I needed <laughs> to write the Rocky Mountain Fruit and Vegetable oh, Gardening. Right. And then that led to writing two more subsequent books. I'm still active in the industry. I'm a board member for the a group called the Desert Green Foundation. Wow. They are out of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and their sole purpose is to provide a, a two-day educational conference for industry professionals throughout the Southwest. And so I'm active on their board, and I also run the scholarship program and, um, and the bookstore. But primarily uh, what I do now is I'm that crazy gardening lady. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. I, you can, yeah. So I, you know, as, you were, as you were sharing over the past three or four minutes about your career, you have had an amazing career. And, and I lucked out. <laughs> I just really did. Yeah. Being, you know, getting the job in the horticulture program, uh-huh. you know, put me in a positive environment. I mean, I got to, as part of my benefits, I got to take any coursework All right. um, for free, mm-hmm. you know, if it was related to my job. And it helped me get my degree and then it subsequently led to teaching, which um, was a great passion, you know, being able to to pass on knowledge and hands-on experience. And college students are are just an incredible group of people. They, you know, they're not typically young people just out of Mm -hmm. high school. This this industry doesn't usually attract that demographic. Yep. And so we had lawyers, engineers, you know, retired military, doctors, people from all Mm -hmm. different professions that that came and I learned more from them I think than they did from me you know with quite an experience (laughs) you know that's that's one of the big reasons that I teach is because I get to learn so much and it sounds it sounds to me you've never stopped learning (laughs) no no you can't I mean it's you know, uh, we when we came out here to to grow our own, uh-huh. we thought, oh, well, my husband's a horticulturist as well, mm-hmm. and so you have two crazy horticulturists living <laughs> on the same piece of land. But we, you know, we immediately we wanted to have a vineyard, we wanted to have an orchard, we mm. wanted to grow a kitchen garden, herbs, and we love the trees and ornamentals and all. We love them all. You know, we're just crazy for plants, and so we. We rationalized that we both had horticulture degrees. We had a background in horticulture that, you know, the same principles would apply, and they do. But what a learning experience. What a ride. I mean, every year it's something different. You know, there's always a challenge, and... And it's just never, never... I've been keeping a garden journal for 11 years, and it's never the same. Never the same. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to ask you, for one of the highlights of the past... 20 years and I think you just said it you have kept a gardening journal for 11 years yeah it was a goal when we moved here this place in Utah is really our our biggest accomplishment and Uh continues to be Uh um and I and I had always wanted to do that you know I I had to keep some notes and things like that when I was managing the field site you know propagation Mm -hmm. notes and production notes but 
but I wanted to, you know, incorporate pictures of my garden at different times of the year and, and problems that I had and make notes. And last year I didn't do so well because I was writing two books at the same time. Uh-huh. But th- that garden journal, boy, it's invaluable. Oh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's a history and I can tell what I'm doing wrong. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's invaluable. Yeah. So. Perfect. Well, I want to I want to make sure that we have enough time to jump into your books. So okay. let's go there next. It's what inspired okay. you to write a book about water conservation and landscape? Let's... Well, you know, I kind of because I've been in the industry for so long, and and I was living in Southern California, and as you know, drought for them is just ongoing, ongoing, and so we began. I began practicing water conservation when the field site was only a couple of years old because uh-huh. we had our first long drought. And so um, uh, part of our classroom education was devoted to low water use landscaping and irrigation principles and right. use of mulches and mm-hmm. all of those things. So I had been doing it all those years and then Finally, I, I was specialized in xeriscape and, and water conservation and the landscape, and so I taught it. And so when they asked me to write the book, it was as if everything just kind of, you know, fell together. When we moved here, we, we designed and installed the irrigation system. My husband, fortunately, is a specialist in that area. Nice. And we, we planted... Um, lots of uh, drought-tolerant trees that we'd started from seeds, and everything was going along fine. And then I guess about after seven years after we moved here, um, our little uh, town had incorporated, and they bought the two of the three existing water rights, water companies. Oh, right. And so, yeah, they had to, um, it was really antiquated. I mean, the system was, you know, barely held together with duct tape. (laughs) And they had to put together a whole new infrastructure. And they kept telling us, you know, your water bills are going to go up. And we felt that we had been living in this lap of water luxury coming from Southern California where our water bills were just incredible. Right. And so we said, oh, that's okay. You know, we'll be fine. Well, in one month, in, in the month of July, which is one of our peak months because it's summer and everything's producing. Right. Our water bill went from $80 a month to $340 wow. a month. That's a wake up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we immediately turned off the irrigation clock and started reevaluating everything that we had done. Mm-hmm. And we, what we discovered is that the, the, our, our water conservation methods were in place. Our plant materials had matured. They all were well-established, deep, far-reaching root systems. And we turned the water off on July 1st, and two months later, in triple-degree temps, everything was fine. Wow. Everything, I mean, except for the vegetable garden, of, yeah, course, of course. You know, you have to water that. But but the landscape, it was, mm-hmm. it was fine. I mean, all the trees, the red buds, the meadows, the lawns, everything was fine. We, we provided a little bit of supplement wa- supplemental watering, just like on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And our water bill was cut in half the next month, and then in half again the next month. Yeah. And so we realized that, 
the system works, you know, and we actually, so we want, I wanted to share those real life experiences and put it in a language that people would not be, you know, off-putting, it would not seem insurmountable, it would be something that you can do, Mm -hmm. and that it really does work if you follow the principles. Now, this book came out this year. Yes. Wow. It just came out in April. Called Water Smart Gardening. Save water, save money, and grow the garden you want. Right. How cool is that? These basic techniques for creating a water smart garden, are they just for... Uh, large landscapes like trees or can they be used in a garden as well they can be used everywhere Uh, they're very basic and they apply to whether you have a patio garden or Mm -hmm. you have or you have a designated farm Mm -hmm. or you have a landscape you know they're they're really just sound basic horticultural practices and they all make perfectly good sense the first one is make every drop count. Mm. And so I, I often hear people say, well, we get a lot of rain here. We don't really have to worry about water. And, you know, when you get a lot of rain, and I'm not sure where you're all at, but, but what that does is most of it goes down your driveway. Right, exactly. And, and with it takes your soil mm-hmm. and sometimes your plants. And so it, it's all about slowing and directing the flow of water, and you do it by using berms and bases, yep. basins, diversion swales, terraces, use permeable surfaces and drainage systems, and then uh, finally harvest and store rainwater. And that, even if the rain comes, typically rain will come in the winter when you don't really need it. You need it more in the spring and the summer. Right. And so if you can capture any of that and store it until early spring or during dry parts in the winter or even until summer, then you're, you've saved that much water. Yeah. The other, another premise is water when and where the plants need it. Um, mm. Watching the plants for symptoms is, is an easy thing to do, but it mm-hmm. also can be misrepresenting of other issues. Uh, a plant may wilt because it's dry, but it also may wilt because it's foggy and its roots are constricted. Exactly. And so what I generally tell, irrigation is a really daunting thing for most people, and it, it is. is kind of scary. It's yep. hydraulics and, and a lot of things you don't realize. And so I tell people, you know, watch the plants for symptoms, feel the soil before you water, and then water the roots, not the leaves. Mm-hmm. And then if you have an irrigation system or you want one, seek out a professional um, to help you audit or troubleshoot or to design your system and then you can install it yourself but it really requires a professional that knows their stuff to give you a, a well-run running uh, irrigation system so that'll save you a lot of money yeah 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 it'll save you money and it'll save your plants yeah and then building healthy soils is is a basic horticultural principle because what you want is a well-draining soil so that water can percolate down into the soil profile mm-hmm. and encourage deep roots and then uh, reducing water loss through the use of mulch. I'm all about mulches oh everywhere. And creating and using microclimates. When we moved here, I really began to appreciate the shaded understory of trees right. and, and the shade from the fences. It's kind of high desert here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we get wind and we get heat and we get cold and all of those things. And so use those microclimates to your benefit. Before we go past the the word microclimates, I'd like you to just take a moment and explain that to our listeners that don't know what that word means. Okay. 
Okay, microclimates are little mini climates that are created all over your your yard. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be from shade mm-hmm. from a tree. It, the shade will cool the soil down, mm-hmm. and also the tree trunk and the tree canopy can protect other plants from wind. And um, and then you get the same kind of effect if you build pergolas or shade structures. Those right. create little microclimates mm-hmm. underneath them. And so those are the kinds of things that you want to utilize as much as you can because nature will work together. So Plants re- will grow together. Yeah, so looking around your space for those places that are warmer and cooler and then kind of exploring what you might be able to do with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. So how can all this apl- be applied to somebody's urban farm or garden? Well, actually, they all apply. Certainly, con- controlling and directing the flow of water is oh, key. Yeah. And we use we use drip irrigation mm-hmm. for all the orchard and the vineyard and all of the kitchen garden. And one of the things with irrigation is that you have to maintain the systems, but also you need to adjust the run times to account oh, right. for the maturity of the plant mm-hmm. as the season goes on. Berms and basins just a natural with the fruit and the nut trees and the shrubs and the vines and we rebuild ours every spring and broaden Mm -hmm. broaden the basin to account for that growing root uh uh, mass and of course building the soil and amending with each season and i always tell people you know we started out with a bare piece of ground here and it had never been gardened and it, you need to be patient. It takes three to four years before you're going to start seeing those organic amendments produce the microbes and the worms and all those things that you like to see. It just takes time, yeah. you know. And so, you know, when you're when you're growing organically, you, you know, you have to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. And then all certainly microclimates. I mean, I I for when I first started growing here, I was a farmer in the farmer's market, uh-huh. and I grew my lettuce crop in triple-digit, you know, temperatures Whoa. through the summer uh-huh. because I grew it against a fence. Uh-huh. And so you really need to utilize those microclimates and plant your ed- interplant your edibles. Certainly, there's a lot of urban farmers out there that really only have a landscaped area, and they may have a homeowners association right. to deal with. Exactly. And so they need to, you know, if they have these things in place, they can interplant their edibles with their ornamentals, and they'll look beautiful, and they'll be growing a little bit of their own food too. Yeah. Yay to that! That's, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some common mistakes, misconceptions, and challenges? that homeowners may have about water conservation in the landscape? Well, the first one is is what we call in the trade those zero-scapes. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I, know, yeah, I, noticed that, I noticed you didn't say zero-scapes. You said zero-scapes. Yeah, yeah, because that's what we see when we see the cactus and the succulents surrounded in a sea of gravel. Right. That would be a zero-scape. Mm-hmm. And I think that that... You know, somewhere along the line, we went from the basic concept of zero escape mm-hmm. to this concept, and 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 the public, I think, a lot of times that's what they think of. Right. But you can adapt it to all garden styles, and and uh, you can use plants that are native in your area, and you can combine them with plants that come from around the world, mm-hmm. and mulches can be inorganic or organic, and it's all dependent upon your style and the type of plant you use. 
Another misconception, which it may sound silly to some, but I was surprised at how many times this happened, is we had a student-run nursery at the college. Uh-huh. And we, when the Xeriscape trend began, we jumped on that wagon and started growing and selling drought-tolerant plants. And we also offered a 100% guarantee on all our plant materials. So oh if gosh. a customer bought something and they took it home and it didn't make it, <laughs> if they brought it back to us, we would look at it and discuss it and see if we could figure out what went wrong, right. replace it free of charge. Well, <clears throat> occasionally a plant would come back and the, the customer would say, I, this, you said it was drought tolerant, you know, and I'd pull it out of the container and it was just dry as a bone. Uh-huh. You know, the soil would crumble away and I'd say, well, it is drought tolerant, but you have to wait and, and give it a lot of water to get it going and mm-hmm. get it established. And then when it's mature and established, then it can tap into its drought-tolerant characteristics. But at the beginning, you need to supply that plant with a lot of water. And for trees, it's up to five to seven years before it's established. Right. So that's another misconception. The other goes along with it that native plants are easy to grow. Mm -hmm. They're they're difficult to find because a lot of nurseries shy away from them because they don't like containers. Right. But you need to mimic their habitat as mm-hmm. closely as you can. You provide a well-draining lean soil. It's watering, it, the type of watering it likes maybe differ from plant to plant. Some like deep moisture, some like, you know, simulated summer rain. Right. And natives grown in cultivated gardens can sometimes get out of hand. They can be very invasive. <laughs> yeah. and so you have to be aware of that. And they don't like fertilizers and they don't like heavily amended soils. So you kind of need to know where you want to use them mm-hmm. and how you want to use them. Yeah. And so those are kind of some of the basic misconceptions that I see. Yeah, and that, that really speaks to what our job is, and that's to get people educated. Exactly. I run I run a fruit tree program here in Phoenix and you know I educate and I educate and I educate and I give free classes and we do videos and all that kind of stuff and I still get people that send me uh, questions about their fruit tree that didn't make it and why didn't it make it and they send me a photograph of it and they put it out in the middle of a gravel backyard. Um, you know, just so, cooked it to death. Yeah, and just, just right, it. exactly. And we're we're you asked where we're at. We're down in Phoenix. And oh, okay, well, I lived there for a while. I know about that heat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it gets hot here. It Phoenix. does, yeah. you know, and, and when I see things like the gravel, um, you know, it, it works well in some succulent beds and things like that, but when you see, see that sea of gravel in a uh-huh. desert setting, the, the your, your utility bills are oh, going to sky. It's so, they're so hot, oh, you know. Yeah. And, you know, artificial turf is, is becoming kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, rebate programs for yep. pulling out turf areas. Uh-huh. And, but they're having some problems now, issues with, you know, what happens to the trees when you do that. And, yep. and, and artificial turf, you know, works well in some situations. But if you put it in a desert setting, <laughs> that stuff gets to be 110, 120 degrees yeah, on exactly. a hot summer day. Yeah. And so, yeah, those are the kinds of, of things that we kind of, natural mulches are, much better. are to me, yeah. yeah, oh, much better. Much, much better. better. We've had Jake Mace, I don't know if you know that name, Jake Mace, the vegan athlete, he turned his uh, backyard into a third acre jungle with a foot of wood chips over the past five years. An, oh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. When uh, when we hear, 
when we hear a, a chipper going out here where we live, because I think we have most of the trees in this valley, and yep. I mean, most people don't plant trees. Yeah. But um, when we hear a chipper, we jump in the car, uh-huh. and I will chase. I'll chase uh-huh. those guys down. Exactly. And you beg, beg my way. Yep. You know, please drop that in my driveway. And yeah. they look at me so strangely, and I. I'm just so surprised right. that people still don't know right. that that's gold. <laughs> you I, get know? Th- I get that because we talk about wood chips so much here in Phoenix and using them as mulch. Um, I get yeah. that question just about every week. Where do I find wood chips? And I said, listen, because there are, yeah, there's, yeah. Four point, there's 4.4 million people living in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Every day somebody's chipping wood, you know, chipping wood out there. Go find them and get it. How are so. uh, citrus chips? wonderful absolutely yeah. incredible if we can get if we can get a hold of them they're absolutely wonderful yeah so so i want to yeah. i want to talk briefly before we shift i want to talk briefly about your other two books i don't want to neglect them rocky mountain fruit and vegetable gardening and southwest gardener's guide can you tell us a little bit about both well the rocky mountain fruit and vegetable was for all the states that border someplace uh, on the Rocky Mountain area. And uh-huh. So Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, um, and they also threw in uh, uh, Porlo, Oklahoma in there. And, and I'm not quite sure. That was mainly because they have a hard time finding a market for Porlo, <laughs> Oklahoma. Yeah. But and that which made it more interesting mm-hmm. because they some places in Oklahoma get 55 inches of rain a year. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. But anyway, so it's it's all about growing edibles, um, fruit and vegetable gardening, and and a lot of it is my story mm-hmm. because that's kind of how I relate to people is you know through my story that I yeah. tell and and garden things that have happened to me, and then the Southwest book uh, just was released. I don't even know if it's. I think it's on Amazon.com. I think that's the only market it's released in so far, yep. and it, it has to do mainly with plants, and it's. You know, ornamentals and edibles for Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Southern Nevada, and yeah, Utah. Utah. I see that here. Yeah, and it's it's more um, it's for a beginning gardener, but also I tried to address things for the more advanced gardener as well. Maybe nice. some ex- new things to learn or new things to try and new plants to try. There's always those. Yeah. And so kind of tried to think out of the box just mm-hmm. a little bit on that one. Wow, and that came out this month. Yeah, that just came out. Oh, wow. Cool. So congratulations. You published two books this year. Two books this year, yeah. And so, yeah, nice. I'm, uh, yeah my my hands are shot, and <laughs> I just need to get... <laughs> I My goal this year is just to get back to my garden. Back out you to know? the garden, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Tell, I, t- I tell people, so I have a third of an acre here in Phoenix, and usually on a week to week basis i've got i've been doing permaculture here for 26 years and you know we get wow. a lot of a lot of food out of our yard and on a on a bad week it takes me about 2 hours um so i i you know and and most people that see that as a good thing and to a certain extent it is a good thing but on a really good week i get to spend 10 or 15 hours out in the yard yeah you know, i really, know well you're Billy, you're doing all the educating and stuff yeah. and so you know that that just takes so much time. Yes. I commend you for yeah. that. Well, I thank you. I try to garden every day, and uh-huh. last year I've got a little greenhouse. And nice. um, one of the things I like about living here is we have four seasons, oh, and yes. 
we didn't have that in San Diego. I mean, you, yep. that's the land of grow anything, anytime, anywhere, yeah, you know. Exactly. And I love the challenges, but I can go in my – and it's tiny. It's a tiny little greenhouse. But I do all my own, you know, seed production mm, for nice. veggies and flowers, and, yeah. uh, and I do cuttings. And I, I have a couple plant collections I put in there for overwintering. So uh-huh. I can go out there in the dead of winter when there's snow, and I can still garden. And yeah. that's kind of – that's kind of my deal now. I just want to garden every day. <laughs> how, nice, how, <laughs> nice, how nice is that? It's how nice great. Is that? So it's great. Can you talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it? You know, you I'm sure share this, but being in education, that word's really not in my vocabulary. Uh, I um, completely agree. But, and and but I will say that, and I thought about this. I think I made an error in judgment about 25 years ago. Um, when I got into the business, there was 2% of the workforce for women. Oh, um, my gosh. Uh, yeah. And I, I was an overachiever anyway, and I was trying to prove that I could keep up with the guys. Uh-huh. And I weighed probably 100 pounds at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and I wanted to set an example for our students, um, and I really put a lot of strain on my back. And, you know, that's a common thing for people in this business yeah, is to absolutely. have a bad back. Yep. But subsequently, I've had numerous surgeries, and I mean, uh, that kind of thing stays with you forever. Yeah. And, you know, and so I learned, and my lesson from it is that you need to mix it up. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're out there gardening, it's really easy to get to raking or digging and, and just time just flies. And before you know it, you've done it for like two, three hours. <laughs> and that's not a good thing, yeah. <laughs> you know. So that's my lesson I learned. I mix it up. I'll even take the timer out with me and set the timer mm. for an hour, and then I switch tasks and use different muscle else. groups. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Heidi, my sweetheart, calls that uh, farm time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> farm time. <laughs> so what do you consider your biggest success? Biggest success is the designing and building of this little acre paradise here in Utah. Uh-huh. It is absolutely phenomenal. You know, that we're just blessed with good sandy, you know, well-draining soil, mm-hmm. and we just plant with abandonment. And the passion to garden and grow our own food just is un- unending rewards. You know, we yeah. stomp grapes, we have fruit. Nice. It's just unbelievable. Uh-huh. And that's that's our biggest deal. That's my biggest accomplishment yeah. is what we've done out here. Yeah. So what drives you? What's your big why? Gardening. <laughs> An obsession. <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's just every year is so different. And and like I said, I, I garden every day, and in January, I start the veggie garden uh, seeds, and then I get my maps out and my drawings and start planting, and, and we start planting right after Mother's Day, and mm. then there's always a new plant. There's always, I'm always trying different methods that uh-huh. I read about, and we're always striving to make the place more sustainable. We yeah. have some goals, you know, and that's what keeps me going. Yeah. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there one book that has been influential in this process in your life? There is. When I, I was fortunate, my first hort editing job was uh, done for a team of brilliant horticulturists. Their name is Bruce and Sharon Asakawa. They're in California. 
And they, I felt I was so honored to serve as their horde editor. Um, I'd been to their speaking engagements, you know, and I was friends with them, and I was just in awe of them. And they, they ultimately hired me to be their horde editor on most all of their publications. Nice. Um, but their first book was California Gardening Guide. And it was filled with their garden stories and their years of horticulture knowledge. Um, Bruce was a landscape architect. Sharon was a horticulturist. And their love and their passion for gardening. They had a a really nice, easy, over-the-garden fence kind of style. And... And, and and it just showed their uh, their love of all things gardening, uh-huh. and so I think that they their passion and their writing style inspired me to write about my gardening and do it in my voice, and so I would say that book has probably been the most inspirational for my path I'm on now. Sweet, yeah, sweet. sweet. So, what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Make every drop of water count. <laughs> of course. <that's> what, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can replenish and build our soils, uh-huh. but the only thing we do is withdraw from our water bank. Yeah. And so, you know, whether you have a lot or a little, just save as much as you can mm-hmm. and, and, you know, keep it keep it on your own little piece of plot and, and it'll, it'll all work to, mm-hmm. our, to your benefit. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Diana. It's been a treat chatting with you. Thank you so much, Greg. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Um, you can, they can email me. All right. At S as in Steve, D as in Diana, M as in Mary, A-R-A-N-H-A-O, mm-hmm. at S as in Sam, is in cat internet.net my books are all available through amazon.com perfect i'm i'm actually looking at all your books i just did a search for your name and amazon has got uh the rocky mountain fruit and vegetable gardening book uh the southwest gardener's handbook and water smart gardening great perfect thank you so much for being on the show Thank you, Greg. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.